All righty, I think you got the message this morning. Everybody invites somebody for Easter, amen? Oh, that was weak. Everybody invites somebody for Easter, amen? Amen. And if you do not invite someone for Easter, may God cause you to itch in places you cannot scratch. So, <laughs> enough of that. Hey, welcome back. Glad that you're here. We're going to uh, wrap up our series on Jonah uh, today. want to welcome our online audience. Glad you guys are joining us as well. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at uh, the prophet Jonah and how in chapter one, he ran from God. And uh, he just ran the wrong way and uh, did not want anything to do with what God wanted for him. And uh, in chapter 2, we find that Jonah's been swallowed by a whale. It was actually God saving him out in the middle of the ocean there. And uh, he sat in the whale, and he had just a a three-day process of just kind of thinking and repenting. And it was just kind of a good process for him. In chapter 3, last week, we looked at how Jonah uh, was spit up by the whale and how he went to the city of Nineveh. He fulfilled what God had told him to do, and he preached to the city of Nineveh. And does anybody remember at the end of we were talking about what happened? What happened when Jonah preached to the city of Nineveh? What did the people do? Anybody remember? They repented. They accepted what Jonah said from God and they turned their hearts toward God. And uh, you would think that would be a wonderful, happy ending to the story, except it wasn't the end of the story. You would think Jonah would be beside himself uh, because of the response of the people. But that wasn't Jonah's response. How did he respond to these people repenting? Well, we're going to throw chapter 4 up on the screen for you. I'm going to read it from the New International Version. Uh, You can track along with me if you want to look in the Bibles in front of you. You can use those as well. And by the way, if you would like to keep one of those Bibles, they are our gifts to you. We'd love you to have one. Feel free to take one home or give it to somebody that you know. Chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. But to Jonah, thinking about the repentance of the people, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Doesn't he sound like a teenage girl right now? I mean, just kind of... Not, no, I meant teenage boys, what I meant. I didn't know teenage girl. <laughs> that, all the drama, you got to love, you got to love Jonah. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and wanted to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind so that the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would better be better for me to die than to live. He's just a drama king. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left 
and many animals. When I was, um, when I was working on this series, and I was going through um, all of these things about how we run from God and, and that, when I got to chapter 4, uh, there was something that jumped off the page to me that really took my breath away. It was the fact that here is Jonah, a man who has just experienced God's grace in a profound way. A guy who was running hard the other way, and God in his grace and compassion reaches out to Jonah and brings him back. Uh, and in spite of the experience that Jonah had, he didn't want to pass on any of that grace himself. Think about this with me. Here is a guy who was just shortly before standing before the judge, rightfully accused, and now himself wants to play the judge and have the people not experience what he experienced, but he wanted to bring condemnation upon him. And all of a sudden, it hit me. What Jonah had done in, in this was actually go back to the original sin. Uh, do you remember what the original sin was in, in Genesis chapter 3 when, when Adam and Eve sinned and fell before God? Do you remember what that temptation was all about? It was about wanting to be God. The, the evil ones tempted him with fruit, said, if you know what, if, you, if you'll do this, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil, and you will be like God. Well, who doesn't want to be like God? And that was what was going on for Jonah. Jonah had moved from someone who desperately needed God to someone who wanted to play God. And I realized as I was processing this, you know, we do the same thing. I don't know about you, but I'm, I am only here today because of the grace that God has shown me in my life. But yet, can we be honest? There are times that even though we have received that grace for ourselves, it's not always so easy for us to let that grace flow through us. And whenever we moved into a position where we are playing God, guess what? We're running the wrong way. It's just a different path. Does that make sense to you? Well, I, I sat down. If you want to take your sermon outline out, you can, you can track along with me. I, I started thinking back in my, my own experience of, of, of how I've done this and how I've walked with others who have done this. And, and I thought, man, when, when we play God, um, we mess up a, a, a lot of things. Tra track along with me. What, what happens when we play God? Well, you see which one's fit for you. When we play God, we hurt, not heal. I've discovered, man, whenever I put myself in the place of God, I'm, I'm not a healer. I'm a herder. Uh, because I bring a lot more condemnation than I do healing around when I do that. When we, when we play God, here's one of the things that happens for us, and it's really frustrating, but, but we push people away from us, not draw them to us. Um, sometimes, and we're going to talk about this in the message today, when we're, when we're playing God, we think we're trying to help people. And when we do this and, and playing God in the process, we're not drawing people to us so that we get a chance to help them. We're actually, we're actually pushing them away. We'll come back to this in just a moment. When we do this in the church, and I thought about how many times I've seen this, when we play God in the church or in, in, in groups or families, we, we become divisive, not unifying. We become divisive, not unifying. It's so interesting to me in my many years of ministry how many times I've had well-intentioned saints think that they have cornered the market on God and get to speak for him and on all of the rest of us just need to tune in. 
And uh, when we do that, you know what, gang? We become divisive. We're, we're, we're not drawing people together. We're not being unifying. When we play God, we drive people from God. We don't draw them to him. When we play God, you know, what's interesting is in all the surveys that have been done with, with people uh, who are far from God and they ask them their uh, opinion of, of what they observe when they view Christians, it, it's so interesting how often uh, the words condemning, judgmental, all of those kinds of attitudes come up because that's a, uh, honestly how a lot of times we come across. And, and whenever we do that, we're not drawing people to God. We're pushing people away from God. We're supposed to be ambassadors. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to attract people to God. But man, when we try to play God, we don't do that at all. We, we, we push people away from God. And, and, and lastly, when, 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 we, when we're playing God, we spend a lot more time trying to change others than we do changing ourselves. Now, come on, just us. Great place to be honest here this morning. How many of you would be honest enough to admit there are some changes that probably ought to happen in your life? Anybody? Yeah. How many of you are sitting next to someone has got a few? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll confess for them. Yeah. <laughs> Shake them up a little bit. Here we go. I, 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 tried to, I tried to really spend some time thinking about, so how does this play out? How have I seen this in myself? How have I observed this in other people? What are some of the ways that we play God and what can we do to stop doing that? Are you ready? Here we go. Now, I know none of you are going to need this this morning. All of you guys, are, have, you guys are exactly where you need to be, I know. But take good notes for someone else. Somebody you know might need some of this. So take good notes for them. Okay, here we go. Here's the first one. If we're going to stop playing God, we need to admit that we're not always right. This is going to hurt. Nor the only ones that hear from God. We're not always right. And we're not the only ones who hear from God. I know this is, this is going to be really good group therapy for you guys this morning. Uh, for some of you, it's going to be a very painful experience. But would you repeat out loud after me? I am not always right. I am not smart in everything. Now, I know that hurts for you, and I know some of you believe you just lied in church because you believe you do, or do, do know everything, but you, you don't. I, I, I thought about this. This is really fun. I wrote this in your notes for you. Throw that up here. All of us are smart in some things, but none of us are smart in everything. And what happens to us is sometimes when we get a little intelligence or education, we think that just because we're really maybe super smart in something, we think we're smart in everything. And, and look at me, you know I love you, but you're not. And which is why when we do that, we're playing God because we think we have the final word on everything. My grandmother, I, I don't think, uh, on my mother's side, I don't think she made it past sixth grade. Um, she, uh, she was married when she was 14. Uh, had, I think, at least nine children that I can, can recall off the top of my head. Uh, and my grandmother, uh, at, when, when I was probably in third or fourth grade, I was doing math that she could not do, uh, even though she was an adult. But when my grandmother stepped into a kitchen, baby, she was a Ph.D., <laughs> my grandmother, without one single recipe in front of her, could make food that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. She was an absolute wizard. She couldn't do my math. She couldn't do my algebra. She couldn't do my geometry. She didn't even know what those terms meant. But she was really, really smart in the kitchen, a place that some of us wish we had people that were smart in. 
No one in this audience, but, but, but other people, other people. Some of you are going to get that, and it's about the middle of the afternoon, and you're going to go, he's in big trouble. He's in, he's in big trouble. I, I, my, my older brother was a great example. My, my oldest brother um, only graduated from high school, um, but when you talk to him, you can tell he's really intelligent. But my older brother, um, you know, he never went to college, but he, he got into mechanics. He was just uh, one of those guys that uh, at an early teen started taking things apart and putting it back together. Uh, he had a job, and it came out, worked in a, a machine shop, went to Vietnam. He worked on turbine engines on helicopters all through the time in Vietnam and uh, came back. And he's, he's a guy, he can take cars completely apart. And then put them all back together. And he's done this with a lot of older cars and things. And it just blows my... Well, you know what? The first time I ever tried to change oil, and this is not a joke, but the first time I ever tried to change oil in my parents' car when I was driving it was I actually drained the transmission fluid completely out of the car. True story. True story. I am by far and away the most educated person in my family, but when it comes to vehicles, I am stupid. <laughs> and you just got to know, we, we, we don't, we, we haven't cornered the market. Does that make sense to you? And when we think, we, we think we're always right, we're, we're, we're not. The, the other piece of that is we have to understand, nor, nor have we cornered the market on God. There's a passage of scripture. I, I just want you to let this sink in because this is really helpful for us. Throw it up from Acts chapter 2, would you please? This is the words of Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. Read it out loud with me. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon, upon who? All people. Now circle that on your outline. Because sometimes what happens to us is we think that we're the only ones in the family who hear from God. Or that we're the only ones in our Sunday school class or in the church that hear from God. I cannot tell you how many people in my life through the years who have come up to me and said, God told me to tell you. And I appreciate, and on the one hand, sometimes what they're, what they're wanting to say. And I always try to listen with a humble heart. But often I have to say, you know, the last time I checked, God and I were still on speaking terms. And God can speak to each of us. And this is just a real important point. You see, it's real important to me that when I sit down with my staff, that I understand they hear from God just as much as I do. It's real important for me as a senior pastor when I'm sitting down with my board to, to know these guys, these guys and gals who are sitting around the table, they hear from God just as much as I do. Because the day that I believe I'm the only one who hears from God, I'm beginning to play God. And that's not a safe place to be. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you the second one, and I want you to brace yourselves because this is going to rock a few of your worlds, um, and this is going to be really hard for you to process. But one of the ways we can stop playing God is we let people take responsibility for their own lives. We need to let people take responsibility for their own lives. Look at me. You know I love you. But you can't fix anybody. Ooh, that did not get one amen. <laughs> Let me say that again. Humor me. You cannot fix anybody. Now, I want you to take this to heart because it's really okay to help people. But one of the ways that we take it beyond 
wanting to help people is when we feel that it's our responsibility to fix people. Trust me, after 38 years of ministry, if I've not discovered anything, I've discovered this. You cannot help anyone who doesn't want help. I wish I could fix people. Trust me, if I could fix people... I would start right here. I mean, I would. There, there are there are people, you know. That I mean, there are there are people, but we we can't. In fact, let this blow your mind. Throw that passage of scripture up on the screen. This is in Deuteronomy chapter thirty. God speaking to the people before they went into the promised land. Here's what the Lord says: Today, I have given who you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that who makes you make. Oh, that who. You would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Now, all, of, all in that verse, everyone, just circle the word you. Because here's what I want you to know. God gave each of us this great gift. It's the power to run our own lives. Even God does not force himself upon people. In fact, I, I put this statement on, on your outline. Throw it up on the screen for me. If God lets people choose how to live their lives, and so should we. Now, I, I, I want you to hear my heart with this. It's, it's a wonderful thing to want to help people. It's a wonderful thing to even advise people. It's even a wonderful thing if you're close enough and you have a relationship with them to tell them your opinion about some of the things that may be going on in their lives and some of the worries and concerns you have. All of those are wonderful things. But can we be honest? There are those of us who take that way too far. And we try to force people to heed what we're telling them. And you got to know this. It's not your responsibility. It's not even your right. Uh, some time ago, I was having a conversation. I had a woman who, who set up an appointment to see me. And uh, she wanted to talk to me about her friend. And her friend, she said, was really a mess. Her friend was making all kinds of really bad decisions. Her friend was doing a lot of things she shouldn't be doing. She felt like her friend was hurting some other people, and she was trying to help her friend, and she was trying to advise her friend, and she was, you know, all of this, and she was going on and on and on about all these things that she was trying to do for her friend. And when she got to the end of all those things, she goes, you know, she goes, they, they, are, they are just a mess. And she goes, and I'm, I'm totally exhausted. I'm just totally exhausted. And I looked at her and I smiled and I said these words. If she's the one with all the problems, then why are you so exhausted? If she's the one with all the problems, why are you so exhausted? And the answer to that is right here. She wasn't just trying to advise or encourage she was trying to take responsibility for her life. And I love you, but you can't do that. And the day you try taking responsibility for somebody else's life, I promise you, you're going to be one of the most frustrated individuals in the world. Even God didn't try to take responsibility for them. God said to the people, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. I hope you choose wisely. Look at me. That's our job. 
you got a good friend, it's wonderful to sit down and say, you know what, I'm concerned about some of the decisions you're making. This is where the bad decisions I think are going to lead you. This is where the good decisions are that I think. But you know what, it's your choice. Hear me loud and clear. Ladies and gentlemen, if someone really wants to flush their life down the toilet, they have a right to do that. And you really can't stop them. Does this make sense to you? It's a wonderful thing to try to help people. But you cross a line when you try to take responsibility for them and force your will upon them. We don't have that right. That's playing God. Let me give you another one, and this isn't always easy for us either, and that's be open to correction. Be open to correction. (laughs) How many of you are are a, a little bit like me and it just annoys you when people feel it's their job to correct you. Anybody, anybody like that? I'm like that. My wife corrects me all the time, and it's never stopped being annoying to me, even though she's right about 99% of the time. It's just, and it, look at me. It, it's a pride issue. Come on, let's be honest. It's just a pride issue. Uh, and yet, it's not, it's not wise. We all need to be corrected. How many of us are right 100% of the time? I mean, other than one. Anybody? I mean, none of us are. <laughs> You know, and, and, it, and so we, we need to be able to open our lives. In fact, I love, I love how Proverbs says this because it doesn't pull any punches. Throw that verse up on the screen for me. Read it out loud. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates corrections is, whoever hates corrections what? Stupid. Now, I didn't say that. That's in the book. And, and what he's saying is, is absolutely true. The, the day that we think we're beyond correcting, we're, we're playing God. Um, there's a guy, throw that picture up on the screen. This is a guy um, who is uh, the director of the Center for Excellence. His name is Osgar. And um, he's the director for the, the Center for Excellence that works under the umbrella of New York University at Abu Dhabi. And he and his team were given the task to create a computer chip that is unhackable. And um, you know, as well as I do, if you've seen it on the news at all, I mean, there's uh, cybersecurity is a really big deal now. Uh, people are able to hack into our phones, into banks, into all these kinds of things. And so protecting that, com- you know, uh, coming up with programs and hardware that people can't hack is a really, really big deal. Well, they, uh, this guy has a, an unbelievable budget of people who have been funding this to make this happen. And so they've been working in this. And, and in December, if you saw it in the news, they released, uh, he released the, fa- the, 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 the headline that they think they have actually have a chip now that is unhackable, at least as nearly to unhackable as they've ever been able to create. And um, they actually put it out there in December and have dared hackers to hack into it. And since December, no one has been able to do it. Now, how did they get to this point? This is what, this is what I found really, really cool about this guy and his team. They thought they had a fairly unhackable chip in the fall of 2017. But rather than try to market that really quick and say, we've got an unhackable chip, everybody needs to buy our product, and blah, 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 they, they, they in fall of 2017, they, they put it out there on the internet, we think we've created a fairly unhackable chip, we dare any hackers to hack into this. Well, if you're a hacker, pride is a big deal for you, and so guess what happened? These hackers started hacking, and sure enough, a team from China was able to hack in 
to that chip, showed them where their flaws were, and so they were able to go back to the drawing board and now come up with a chip that is that much further down the line, and they think they may have the finished product. But I want you, don't miss this. The way that they got to where they are was they put it out there and they said, correct us. Correct us. We think that this might be a fairly unhackable chip. Prove to us otherwise. And when I read that story, I thought, you know what the key to this team's success is? It's their humility. Their willingness for people to show them their flaws. Look at me. And that's the key to our success. How many people do we have in our lives that we're really open to receiving correction from? How many people do we have that we've given the right to show us our flaws? We need those people in our lives, every single one of us. I, I, I thought of a, when I was writing this and I was kind of spending some time on it, I remembered a passage from Galatians. Throw that up on the screen. This is Paul um, writing to the Galatian church. Look at what he says. Read it out loud with me. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Now, I want you to get this. Who was in the wrong? Peter. What do we know about him? Here's, here's the guy that we quoted a little while ago, preached a message on Pe- the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. Here's a guy who was one of the pillars of the church. Here was one of the guy, most respected men of the New Testament. Here was one of the apostles who walked with Jesus. And yet even Peter needed correcting from time to time. Peter did. Paul did. Look at me. We probably do too from time to time. Amen? Amen. And I'll give you one, one last one. This was Jonah's, and for some of us, it's ours. If we're going to stop playing God, we need to confront our judgmental attitudes, and we need to confess our prejudices. We need to confront our judgmental attitudes, and we need to confess our prejudices. And we all have them. Let's go back to Jonah's story for a second. Let this, let this knock your socks off. You know why Jonah was so mad that God didn't destroy Nineveh? He hated those people. He hated them. He looked at this people group. It wasn't about the fact that they were just sinners. Jonah hated them. Even though he had just received grace from God, even though he was running hard away from God and God restored him, Jonah couldn't find it in his heart to give forgiveness to these people simply because they were running away from God in a different way. Look at me. You got to hear this. We have to stop judging people just because they sin differently than us. Because the day we move into being judgmental, we're playing God. I I know it's going to be uh, hard for some of you to believe, but 
I wasn't always the, the perfect man you see before you today. When I was, uh, when I was young, uh, in my faith, I, I was a little, a little wild. I grew up in the, in the hippie area, era uh, of life. And um, I have a, I'll never forget uh, one summer. I was uh, probably my sophomore, junior year in college. Uh, I went home. I was home for the summer, and I attended a family reunion. And uh, there were 16 kids in my dad's family. There were nine kids in my mother's family. So our family reunions like took up an entire city park. And uh, so we would all be out there. This is summertime. I had uh, my grandmother's brother was a pastor. and He was a pastor of a very uh, old conservative church. Uh, He was one of those pastors that wore a suit everywhere he went, even to the family reunion in the park. Uh, Uncle Bruce would, you know, he would show up and he would be in his suit. His wife would have on a long dress all the way to the ground. And, and they were just, you know, kind of old school, very conservative. And that's the, where they were. My grandmother, Bruce's sister, uh, was very proud of the fact that I was in Bible college studying for ministry. And she wanted Bruce to meet me. He pastored in a town south of us. And I probably hadn't seen him since I was a small child. So she comes up behind Bruce and she taps him on the shoulder and says, Bruce, I want, you to, I want you to meet Stevie. He's our preacher boy down in Houston, Texas. Now, you've got you to gotta picture this. I looked a little differently than I do now. Throw that picture up on the screen. I had really long hair that was down to here. Uh, I had on that particular day, I had on, this is back when people wore their shorts very short. I had uh, cutoffs that were cut off back here. I think my pockets were actually lower than, than the hem of my, my shorts. Uh, I had on um, a, a white t-shirt that uh, had on uh, the, a very modern day image of Jesus' face on the front that said the liberator. On the back, it said, I'm free. Um, I had on a, I had a rawhide string wrapped around my neck. I think I had Wanda's class ring on it or some girl's class ring on it that, was, that I was going with at the time. I don't remember actually. Um, but, and, I, and, and I'm standing there with this long hair, with this rawhide, with this shirt and these short shorts. And Bruce turns around and he looks at me. And he shakes my hand and he looks me up and down. He says, boy... If you're going to be a preacher, you're going to need to get that haircut, and you're going to need to get some clothes on. Well, I got my haircut. <laughs> and I know you're thankful that I have on long pants today. <laughs> Bruce had no idea how, de- how deeply he hurt me. I was young in my faith. I was 21, maybe, um, 20. I wanted nothing more in my heart of hearts than to serve God and to be a pastor. He had this incredible opportunity to bless me, to encourage me, to give me confidence in this kid who was filled with insecurity. But my uncle, who I loved, couldn't see past the hair and the t-shirt and the shorts. And I thought about, I thought about Bruce when I, was, when I wrote this point, and I was sitting back in my chair this week, and I was thinking about how I've seen it play out. And as I, and as I thought about Bruce, I can still remember that moment. I mean, that was, you know, a few years ago. 
And I still remember that moment and how, how, how it hurt me. But then here's what I heard God say. But Steve, you've done the very same thing. You've looked at people, and because their sin is different from your sin, you've judged them, condemned them, hope they get their due while you get grace. There are people that I've looked at, and I've not been able to look past the exterior, and I make judgments about them, prejudices about them, simply because of what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. And I'm just confessing before you, I, I realize sitting in my chair this week, as much as what Bruce said hurt me, I, I wish I could say I never did the same thing, but I, I have. And I think at some points we all do from time to time. And when we do that, when we judge people, we're playing God. I want you to look at what James, the brother of Jesus, said about this. Throw that up on the screen for me. Read it with me, church. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Did you see that? Read that last line again. So what right do you have to judge? One more time. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Absolutely none. Because the day we begin to judge, we're playing God. Amen. I, I want you to just bow your heads with me and just to close your eyes for a second. I just want to lead us in a prayer of repentance. And I, I don't know what part of today may uh, be helpful for you or meaningful to you. I don't know what part may have connected with your heart and how you sometimes play God. Maybe some of you that say, you know, I didn't tune into any of that at all. And, and that's okay. But this morning, would you just take a moment and wherever and however you hear God speaking to your heart, would you just be willing to confess that before him while I pray? Father, I, I stand before my people to admit openly that there are times I find myself playing God. Uh, there are times, Lord, I, I think I'm right. And sometimes when I think I'm right, I close my mind off to the opinions of other people. And when I do that, I, I think I'm omniscient and I'm playing God. There are times, Lord, in my codependency where I've tried to not just help people, I've tried to fix people. And when I do that, Lord, I'm, I'm doing more than what you've asked me to do. And I'm playing God. There are times, Father, when my stubbornness and my pride that I'm not always open to you correcting me the way that I need to be corrected. And whenever I think I'm above reproach and whenever I think I'm, a, I'm above anyone pointing out flaws in my life, I'm, I'm playing God. And Lord, uh, you've had me face some of my own uh, judgmental attitudes. You've had me face some of my own prejudices. And Lord, I know for each and every one of us today, there are people, places, and uh, God, there are... Uh, others that we look at sometimes, and we look down our spiritual noses at them because their sin is not our sin. Lord, we don't want to be like Jonah. Jonah was such an, an incredible recipient of your great grace, and yet when it came opportunity, he was mad because you didn't exact judgment on those people. 
And Father, forgive us. There are times we look at people and things that they do, and rather than praying for their redemption, we pray for their demise. And when we do that, we're playing God. Lord, I ask that you would just help each and every one of us to not play God, but to simply work harder at being more godly. Let the Spirit, Lord, that is yours, live deeply in us. Change how we see others. Change how we see ourselves. Change, Lord, our, our demeanor from one of feeling like we need to judge this world around us to remembering that we too are a part of this fallen world. Father, help us. Help us to think long and hard about all of the grace that we've needed in our life. And as we encounter others, help us to pass some of that grace along. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen.